after dropping another game in Sacramento, Warriors taking care of business at home, which has been the case for most of this season, a blowout victory against the San Antonio Spurs. What's up, guys? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, Sports Ethos presentation, Sam Orlick, your host. We've got a very special episode for you guys today. Special guest James Homer from WarriorsTalk.com is going to be joining us. Hey, what's going on, James? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. What about you? Doing well. Not too bad. Thanks for uh, taking the time to uh, join me on the show today. Yeah, of course. Super, super excited to be here. Glad I, glad I got the opportunity. Yeah, for sure, man. Got a lot of interesting topics in uh, Warriors land to uh, get into here. Oh yeah, especially especially after the last couple of days, I can imagine there's uh, there's plenty to plenty to discuss. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I think. You know, first first off, I think it was great to see the Warriors take care of business at home against the Spurs. You know, one one thirty two to ninety five the other night. Um, just all around great effort. Jordan Poole going off for thirty six points, two off of his career high. Nice to see Steph Curry. You know, he he scored eighteen, which was I think kind of a key for me that we were able to take care of a a shorthanded Spurs team at home without having Curry to sco- to go off for like 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. Um, we got an extended, you know, our first real kind of extended garbage time in the fourth quarter, which allowed us to look at guys like James Wiseman, Moses Moody, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Ryan Rawlings even got some time. Um, something that we hadn't really been able to see a lot this season because just games have been so close or we just haven't blown teams out or when we've gotten a big lead, we've given it up. So um, kind of really the first the first garbage extended garbage time run uh, of the season. Yeah, it was um, it was good. It was interesting, um, kind of interesting to watch how uh, how the the Warriors really started to take that game away uh, and started to pull away kind of into the second half. Um, it felt a lot more like a, a vintage Warriors game that we've come to expect, and not really what we've been seeing all season. Um, there wasn't a single guy on the roster who played over thirty minutes. So um, it was definitely a definitely a quality win, and even though it's against you know the Spurs, who are sort of in the Wemby sweepstakes, it's uh it's good to see that we're not dropping those kinds of games and we're beating those teams as as well as we should. Yeah, and and it seems like there's um, a little bit of a a vibe um, kind of you know I've only been to a few games at Chase, but I went to plenty of games at, at Oracle and Oakland. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to see that that vibe has kind of carried over to San Francisco, that home court advantage. I know that there was some some people who are a little bit concerned, you know, moving yeah. more into San Francisco, isolating a lot of that larger extended Bay Area kind of loyal fans, um, how that how that would carry over. Right. Um, did you have any other kind of takeaways from from the Spurs game? I know kind of kind of a blowout, so not a whole lot to dissect. Um, I think that pool, uh, I think pool's play really stood out just because we, we've seen him sort of, I don't want to say coast, but it almost feels like he's kind of been coasting through the the start of the season. 
Um, you know, a lot of people sort of point out to the James Wiseman's, you know, not excellent plus minus. It was like a minus 70 or something like that a couple games in. Poole was almost right there with him. Um, he didn't, you know, it just seemed like he he hadn't been sticking to that game simplification that he had been so focused on last season, which made him such a, you know, such a usable force on the offensive end of the floor. And uh, it just seemed like he was, you know, more comfortable, was a, a quicker at making his decisions. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's the starting lineup or kind of what might have contributed to that, but he just looked, uh, he looked a lot more composed. He looked like the guy who, uh, who the Warriors had paid. He looked a much, much closer to that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Dante DiVincenzo coming back, I mm-hmm. think helps him a lot, taking away some of that um, primary ball handler kind of running the second unit role, and he can be more of an off-ball scorer, which is where we've really seen him flourish. Mm-hmm. Definitely being in the starting unit, you could tell that he was pretty locked in. I think, you know, the Spurs didn't have necessarily exceptional perimeter defenders to really lock him down. And I feel like him getting to the rim really unlocked his um, his game. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that we've seen him kind of struggle with this season. He's had a lot, had a lot more difficulties getting to the rim for the reasons mm-hmm. that I kind of just mentioned, like that teams are kind of locked in on him. And then when he has gotten to the rim, he's either not finished or um, not gotten foul calls. A lot of times he's looking to the refs, like there's contact that he's kind of expecting. Right. Um, and so it's just, you know, Steph Curry talked about it. Um, some of the other players talked about it. It's just an adjustment. Like you get paid the big bucks, you're on the opposing team scouting report and there's growth and, evolution to your game that's required to kind of take it to the next level and he hadn't done that um but also you know warriors and the coaching staff asking him to do a lot more this season than last last season was like hey whether you're starting or coming off the bench you know come in and score be aggressive look for your shot and now it's like we need you to defend without fouling we need you to run the second unit look to get guys involved oh yeah and you need to score so i think yeah he he was thinking too much it wasn't there wasn't a lot of flow plays. There was a couple games where he only took, you know, less than five shots or he was just like catching the ball and passing it immediately. It just looks super passive and, and not even really engaged offensively or looking for his own shot um, kind of in his head. So, you know, that'll happen. Young players adjusting to new roles, trying to figure it all out. But um, great to see him you know, score at a high level with a bunch of points and efficiently 13 13 for 20 from the field, five of 10 from three, five of six from the line. The free throws, I think, are the most perplexing thing. Um, after leading the league last year in free throw shooting, um, his, his free throws are down quite a bit um, thus far in the season. Yeah, they don't look uh, – it, it doesn't look, look like there's anything particularly different about how he shoots them, shoots them um, at least like kind of how I've, how I've seen – or what I from what I've seen, um, I think it ultimately it kind of routes back to that that sort of confidence that you were talking about, and him being a uh, a decision maker on the floor um, when he's not shooting well. And this is kind of true of I find any shooter when somebody is not shooting well, um, that can translate to you know confidence issues with their mechanics, especially younger players. So um, I'm sure that you know there was <clears throat> there's sort of been a little bit of a 
that sort of contributed his slump has sort of contributed to you know not excellent or not the you know otherworldly free throw shooting we've seen in the past um and i think it's also you know just kind of like his confidence going into the paint is because teams are so locked in on him uh it's a little bit down and i think that translates uh to free throw to free throws as well because if you're getting into the paint and you're you know you're not making buckets then you sort of have to rely on your free throws to to get those points out of that possession and that can be sort of that little extra added added pressure when you know that maybe you're not playing as well as you should um but yeah it's it seems to just be mostly a, a confidence thing and you know, trying to maybe overcorrect his shot or something when he's not shooting too well. And that can lead to, you know, all kinds of issues. Yeah. Yeah. Valid points. Um, he's down almost 10%, but, you know, we're still just 14 games in. Mm-hmm. Um, he's averaging, you know, compared to last season, he was a uh, 92.5% shooting 3.5 free throws per game. Right now he's at 3.7 and he's hitting. 3.1 um, whereas last season was 3.2 out of 3.5 so we'll mm-hmm. see kind of a small sample size I, I mean he's a good shooter I expect that to kind of trend in the other direction as as you kind of mentioned as he as his yeah. confidence is growing as he's getting more comfortable as it comes more naturally in the flow of things and, and feeling less forced yeah definitely as a team though against the Spurs I feel like we just really did everything um that we hadn't been doing all season. Only 13 turnovers on the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, season high, 23 three-point field goals made, 35 assists. Uh, our largest lead was 41 points. Um, the only the only thing I can really point to that's an area of concern was rebounding. Uh, we gave the Spurs 22 offensive rebounds, and we lost the rebound battle 54 to 40, or 53 to 40. So, um, you know, I think that was our calling card last season as being one of the better defensive rebounding teams in the league. And I think that played a huge role into why we were so effective defensively. So, um, you know, I know there's been a lot of challenges trying to find the rotations and Steve Kerr and the coaching staff kind of playing with different options and the James Wiseman issues and Jermichael, Jermichael Green as well. So I think rebounding should be a point defensive rebounding in particular, a point of emphasis for the Warriors as they're, kind of getting their rotations more locked in and established yeah well it's it's been um you know last year it was it was kind of shocking to see just how good at rebounding the warriors were for not playing a guy who was over you know six eight six nine like he was you know kevon looney was an absolute monster on the boards the entire the entirety of the playoffs and we kind of saw where that uh, you know, you could kind of see it coming in the regular season, but at the same time, like it was it was very surprising that the team that was arguably one of the, you know, sort of shorter teams on average, um, seeing them have so much success. It, uh, you know, I kind of expected a little bit of regression, but it is at the same time, like that's one of the factors that is going to be huge for the Warriors moving forward. And um, one thing that uh, you had kind of mentioned from the Spurs game that they did really well, uh, but has sort of been a consistent Warriors problem over really since the dynasty has kind of been at its high points has been turnovers. So, you know, getting those, if you're not going to clean up the turnovers, which, you know, they did really well against the Spurs, but against better defensive teams, it may still be an issue then those offensive offensive rebounds are going to become more and more important. So to, to kind of get back to 
maybe not quite as as great as they were on the boards last year, just because that might have been a little bit of an anomaly. But getting closer to the top and being able to to kind of position well and secure those extra possessions is going to be huge, um, especially if you know turnovers are going to be an issue in the grand scheme of the season. Yeah, those those turnovers are rough. If you're if you can't defend without fouling and you're turning the ball over and you can't rebound, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the margin for error that you have to still win during the regular season is just so small. And I don't care who your opposition is. I mean, like we've seen Detroit, Charlotte, Orlando, all of these teams that we'd consider kind of uh, weaker teams or not necessarily established teams. They're all hungry to come out and win and play play hard against us and it doesn't really matter who your competition is you still need to do the basics or have exceptional offensive output from from several different players and so we right. haven't been able to really put all of that together before for last night i think that spurs game is really the first end-to-end game other than i think actually the the new orleans pelicans game uh, where yeah. all the starters were rested. I think before the Spurs game, that was really the only other game, in my opinion, where we really put together, you know, as close to 48 minutes of tough uh, both ends of hard play. Yeah, definitely. And I was – the Warriors, whenever they they kind of rest their starters on, on a back-to-back on the second half, I, I got used to sort of last season where we would see the second unit to step up. But against New Orleans, who looks like – you know, legitimate playoff competition this year. Um, it was important to for those guys to kind of show that they could step up when, you know, the starters aren't playing or what have you. Um, so getting kind of, they didn't, you know, obviously they didn't win, but uh, like you said, it was just, it was 48 minutes of good basketball. And um, ultimately it, it just came down to, you know, stars and their kind of shot making, especially with guys like Brandon Ingram. So obviously that's not as much of an issue with the starters. And uh, I think that the the Cavs game, you could probably point to about 42 minutes of solid basketball, but there were a couple points where, you know, the team definitely didn't look as solid. Um, and thankfully they were able to pull that, uh, pull that win out. But um, yeah, I would say the, the Spurs game, aside from New Orleans, I would definitely agree with you is probably the most complete game they played all season. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else can we hit on from from Spurs and Warriors? Uh, you got ten points plus from Kaminga, Lamb, and Moody. Uh, Anthony Lamb has been a revelation for Steve Kerr in the last three or four games. He's been putting in work. Um, I've been really impressed with his play. Two way player. A little bit of controversy around um, him kind of joining the team with that. Um, investigation that that went on right. in his in his college team, but Warriors said that you know there were no official findings, and that was kind of all that I saw they had to say about that. But Lamb has been really the only consistent contributor as of late off the bench, other than maybe Jordan Poole. But even Jordan Poole hasn't been that consistent on the season as a whole. As as far as a guy who's just going to play hard on both ends, do a little bit of everything, play within the flow, and then most importantly, knock down open shots. Yeah, he um he uh spoke a little bit. I think that I I had seen something on uh on Twitter earlier today um about how he was sort of he sort of saw himself as a, a bit of a play connector, which historically has been a type of player that you've gotten a ton of production out of uh, in Warriors teams in the past, especially off the bench. 
So, um, you know, Lamb coming in and hitting, you know, five of six of his threes was very important for, you know, a team where we saw it against the the Kings in the first half of the back-to-back that, um, you know, towards the end, they weren't able to knock down those shots. And having somebody who you can sort of rely on to, to play those quality minutes and to defend without fouling, uh, also an important part, especially at kind of that position where he plays like a three or a four. Um, he has been, you know, he's been great in terms of his play as a two-way player. So uh, I'm sure we could expect to see plenty of usage out of him, um, especially now with uh, Wiseman in the G League and, uh, you know, with Kurt starting to put his rotations together a little bit. Yeah, and if he if he keeps knocking down threes at a high clip like he's doing, there's going to be, you know, it's going to really force Kerr's hand as far as being just needing to continue to find ways to get him on the floor and give him minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's good to see Moody get get out there and get some time. He's kind of been towards the back end of the rotation right now. Um, I coming into the season, I actually thought that Moses Moody was the most likely of the of the trio of Moody, Kaminga, and Wiseman to get consistent minutes off the bench. But um, as we've seen and as Steve, Steve Kerr has said, it's it's the turnovers and fouling that's been an issue for Moses Moody. And as this has been an issue for the whole team, we just haven't been able to afford being able to play through these guys making those types of mistakes. And so, um, you know, I think, I think he'll turn it around. I think he has a lot to offer the team. He can typically slide into that point of attack defender type role defensively. Mm-hmm. And then he's also a guy that can knock down the open three offensively. I think he's an underrated offensive rebounder who kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Jason Richardson. Yeah. Um, so I think he has a lot of potential for the Warriors and fills in a lot of roles. He just needs to be the type of guy that's just a little bit more mistake-free before Kerr can really feel comfortable giving him consistent minutes in the rotation, at least with where the team's at right now. If you've got, and we'll get into this a little bit more a little bit later, but if you've got Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole consistently scoring 20 points apiece and, and Steph Curry doing his thing and Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins and Looney all locked in, I think there is a lot more room to give these guys opportunities to play through their mistakes. But when that stuff isn't happening and you're dropping games left and right and falling in the standings um something's got to give yeah definitely um the until Kerr's sort of soundbite on why he wasn't playing moody as much i had i had been a little it was a, a bit of a head scratcher for me to see him not in the rotation because i had felt like you know moody was playing pretty well um and you know the to a certain degree you know lineups metrics and um, you know, those kind of advanced stats, they would tell a story that Moody was, for all intents and purposes, one of the better warriors in terms of their rotation contribution. Um, although, you know, when you sort of get back to him being in year two and maybe a lot of the good stuff that he does, it kind of hides like some of his weaknesses, which Kerr is really looking to to put an emphasis on getting rid of, then it, it sort of makes more sense why he wasn't playing as much recently. Uh, I definitely agree that he he's sort of in terms of him, Wiseman and Kaminga. Um, Moody was definitely the most uh, the one that I was expecting to contribute the most. Um, just between being the one person 
on the Warriors draft board that was kind of like one of the most NBA ready players in the lottery uh, is between his, you know, his defensive in- instincts and his, uh, his shooting capability. And then you saw him average. I think there was a period of like five or six games where he was averaging 35 points a game in the G League. So you could really tell that he had um, he had started to improve the second he got into kind of the pros. And I think that he's going to be a huge piece for this team, uh, not just this season, but moving forward, just in terms of kind of what he can bring off the bench with his shooting and his defense. And once he sort of cleans up, you know, the turnovers and the fouling, then he'll definitely he will definitely likely see some very consistent minutes in kind of that seventh or eighth man role behind Poole and probably Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we see, we saw him early in the season um, take several offensive uh, charges. Mm-hmm. Um, just be having, having the guts to make those types of plays and it didn't always go his way. And I think that kind of played into, again, the, the unnecessary fouling kind of mm-hmm. trying to figure out, okay, you're, you're playing really aggressively on defense. We like that, but we're getting into the bonus so early every game and you're kind of playing into that, you know, the one out of five times that you are drawing the charge is great, but the other four times, you know, we're, it's just a parade to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the turnovers offensively were, were kind of like silly turnovers, at least what I'm recalling more from like an eye test where it's just like, you can't even, you're not even able to make a pass from like the top of the key to the wing, or there's just those, those like head scratching turnovers where there's just miscommunication or miscues is just unforced turnovers. Um, he was, he was the recipient or the cause of a lot of unforced turnovers, um, unfortunately. And, you know, maybe some of them weren't his fault because that second unit was so miscombobulated, but, um, again, needing to build, some type of rapport with that second unit and start from somewhere and and really needing to just Steve Kerr having to kind of like rebuild the second unit and just kind of cut everyone's minutes and and start from ground zero. Yeah. uh, A lot of, a lot of the turnovers that he made kind of like what you were saying, they were, they were mistakes that I feel like they kind of come with being with more minutes and with being more involved. Um, sort of in the rotations. And I think once Kerr kind of gets the lineups, you know, the lineups that he wants sort of set up, uh, I think it'll, it'll start to go away if relatively slowly. Um, Yeah. And a a lot of it has to do with just him being a a second year player uh, in terms of the fouling, just because, you know, you can see a lot of, you know, well reputable defensive players in the league who can get away with being a little more physical, but younger guys like Moses Moody probably won't be able to get uh, a favorable whistle in the same way that a lot of those other guys can. Um, So putting himself, him putting himself in positions to, to not have those fouls called on him is, um, you know, it's a learning curve. It's, it's something that, you know, he's shown he can, he can learn from quickly. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure we'll see a little bit more of it this season, but I, I don't anticipate to that to be too much of a problem, you know, starting to go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Valid points. So I want to touch on the elephant in the room and that's uh, James Wiseman. Um, <laughs> the, the player of much controversy currently for the Warriors uh, it was announced shortly after the game and then officially announced today that Wiseman has been assigned to the G League. 
Um, last night against the Spurs, he played nine minutes, one of three from the field, struggled to catch the ball cleanly. It seems like he's lost pretty much all of his confidence that he had kind of coming into the season. Um, you know, I want to get your thoughts kind of on the struggles of James Wiseman this season. Um, I know you'd written an article kind of outlining potential trade options for him. Um, how do you, what do you feel about him getting assigned to Santa Cruz and what's your kind of overall take and opinion on, uh, on Wiseman right now? Well, started off, um, there was a, there was a great article that I read, um, from the athletic about, uh, sort of shifting over a little bit to a different sport, Kyle Shanahan and Brandon Ayuk from the 49ers. And Shanahan said in, in an interview that, um, he was a bit, he was trying to be a bit tougher of a coach, uh, for Ayuk, who's obviously a very talented receiver. And that was a part of kind of why Ayuk was in Shanahan's doghouse a little bit at the beginning of last season. Um, and it's, he made a, he made sort of a good general point, even if the situation isn't particularly the same, that some great players just need to be coached differently than they've been coached their entire lives because they're so talented. I think James Wiseman having such little coaching experience or such little playing experience um, in, you know, college and to a certain degree with the Warriors. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Wiseman has kind of always been the guy on his team. And now he's in an environment where he's playing with a, you know, certified top 10 player of all time and a couple Hall of Famers who have been to the mountaintop multiple times. And I think that while there is some merit to him adjusting his game to fit within the Warriors system, it's going to be a pretty steep learning curve for him. And you have to wonder when he's going to lock down the little things that he needs to do to be a very solid contributor and to be a very solid contributor very soon. I think that Wiseman's timeline it's a little different than a guy like Moses Moody who came into the NBA as one of the, the drafts, more game ready prospects. And even to a certain degree, Jonathan Kaminga. Um, yeah. It, it just seems like, you know, like you said, Wiseman's confidence just isn't there right now. And I think that some time in Santa Cruz will do him really well, much like it did Jordan Poole. Um, I do think Sort of as as I talked about a little bit in uh, in the article I wrote for the Warriors talk, um, it may get to a point during the season where you have to look at what offers might be on the table for a trade for for him to to sort of bring back players who could maybe fill in different niches that a project player like Wiseman wouldn't necessarily do. Because I think that while Wiseman is ultimately, I I'm very high on Wiseman. I think he's going to be one of uh, one of the more talented bigs in the league when he enters his prime. I do think that if you're going to go this hard into a win now window and you're going to do something similar to what the Spurs did with, you know, Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and Kawhi Leonard, then you you kind of have to. You, you have to prefer the current timeline more than the future timeline, which is, I think, the only shortcoming of Myers's vision for, you know, a two-timeline team. You need players who are going to potentially develop into 
very excellent NBA players, but who already have like kind of those intangibles in that game sense that, um, that you need to be a role guy, essentially. I do think that, um, while Wiseman is going to, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people when he comes back from the G league. I think that will help his confidence. I think that'll help his role as a member of the team. I think it'll also increase his, uh, his value because now teams are other teams are starting to look at him and sort of be like, this is what this kid could be. And we would be willing to make a more generous offer to the warriors in order to get him and make him a part of our future. So I think that um, you could look at, you know, the most recent opponent, the Spurs and say, there might be a deal for Jakob Pertle although Pertle will be a free agent next season. And that's kind of a, a bit of a gamble in terms of the value you're getting versus the value you're giving up for one season of essentially a loner. Um, but you also have teams who might be overperforming a little bit currently and probably won't be, you know, who are closer to that future timeline, say like the Utah Jazz. Yeah. Some good, some good points there. Um, you know, I think my biggest thing with Wiseman right now is he's he plays. He's a guy who needs a lot of confidence to be on the floor. I think yes. we saw it at his rookie season. His first handful of games, it was like limitless potential. He was doing so much. He was scoring so efficiently. And then as he started to struggle, everything just got so much harder for him to point where like he can't even catch the ball and it's really you know and last season obviously did not being able to play you know i think really set him back but then at the same time spending all that time on the sidelines and just being able to mature a little bit i think was also a good experience from him um and and we're seeing again this season the first the first few games a lot of confidence um you know a lot of games putting up 10 points i think the rebounding has continued to be suspect but um at least he looked confident out there and then um, now kind of, again, doesn't really have any confidence, doesn't catch the ball cleanly. Um, you know, he gets visibly frustrated and upset when he's out there. Uh, a couple times before he was picking up DNPs where he was just kind of aloof offensively where, you know, mm -hmm. Curry's trying to call him into sets and he's late to the action and he's just got to play on and then he wants to post up and he doesn't get it. Um so I think, yeah, I think he needs to build up his confidence. He needs to get more reps. I mean, he's still played like less than 60 NBA games. And um, he only played three games in college. And the center position is a lot different than, you know, wing or power forward. So, yeah, I do think that it's probably another two or even three years before he, you know, really starts to kind of find his way and is able to contribute on this team. Um, at the same time, I think it's a little bit interesting because you've got you know, Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, who are arguably, you know, the best front court options, you know, for the Warriors that really fit the mm -hmm. Steve Kerr system and do all the little intangible things. Um, another thing that I think is going to be really interesting is Steve Kerr mentioned last night that um, it's kind of on him that Jermichael Green had been out of the rotation and that he had been trying to, to play Jermichael Green at the four and he really sees him now more as a backup five so I'm really curious to see building on this game uh against the Spurs um let's see Jermichael Green had uh 
just under 16 minutes, three of five from the field, one of three from three, five boards to assist. I mean, nothing crazy, but, you know, I think Jermichael has a lot to offer as kind of this guy that can have um, a physical presence. He can go out and get an offensive rebound. He can knock down an open three. He doesn't quite have the same all around kind of impact and high IQ type of game that Otto Porter does have, but he's much more spry. He's much more athletic and physically imposing. Um, And so I think that'll be interesting to see if, if Steve Kerr is able to utilize Jermichael Green as a backup five, if we don't, you know, I think maybe it's not such an L that Wiseman is a project and he is in the G league and sure you know, maybe you're not doing everything you can to maximize Steph Curry's prime and, and build this team and, and all of that. Um, and also it's kind of just the Warriors were afforded this luxury that, that here you have this championship team, this dynasty that somehow ended up with the top two pick. Because um, I don't think if you got to go back in time and redo everything, if you say, um, you as in anybody say, okay, well, why didn't they get like, uh, Lamelo Ball, for example. <laughs> well, I don't think Lamelo Ball develops into the player that he is today for Charlotte if he's playing behind or next to Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and I don't think Jordan Poole develops into the player that he is either. So it's kind of hard to kind of look back retrospectively and and say, well, they should have taken this player or that player. Um, you kind of take who's there and, and see how it goes. I mean, either works out or not. I mean, they wouldn't be the first team to take like a uh, top pick that didn't play well. I mean, just look at like Anthony Bennett, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's plenty of other play- teams who have kind of made those mistakes. So I think, I think the jury's still out on James Wiseman, but I think, yeah, I'm with you that it's, he's not, it's definitely not going to con- be contributing anytime soon for the Warriors. Um, and Steve Kerr already runs such a tight rotation come playoff time, just kind of right. assuming that the Warriors do make it to the playoffs. They already have kind of their core guys, and you're really just looking for those fringe guys who can fill in off the bench. Um, but it sure doesn't feel good as a fan and watching the Warriors play and seeing James Wiseman get out there and and just kind of really muck everything up when he's on the floor yeah. and, and the Warriors drop in five games in a row on the road. And just, it seems like everything's going so poorly. And then meanwhile, it's like, we're paying this guy, you know, 10 million and, and we let Otto Porter Jr. and, and GP2 go because we didn't want to pay them. And um, it just kind of compounds everything. Uh, but I don't think, you know, James Wiseman being good or not being good would really make a huge difference for the Warriors this season just because of where he's at in the rotation and and um what he's gonna bring this team which isn't really that much right now he's still a few years off so i think him going to the g league let him do his thing get his reps you know hopefully he starts going off and and scoring 30 points a night or just getting back to the basics and and having fun and succeeding and just building up his confidence again and then maybe he can come back in that limited role off the bench and play you know, 10 to 15 minutes and, and finish some lobs and defend without fouling and grab some boards and start to build some consistency and continuity with Jordan Poole in the second unit or DiVincenzo and, or even Steph Curry, um, get their timing back. Um, but I think, you know, Jakob Pertl, I think he, you know, he's certainly a good player. Uh, I don't know how he'd fit with the Warriors though. Would you, would you think he would start? Would he come off the bench? 
I'm not sure um, how that would kind of work within the rotation. So the way that the way that I've kind of evaluated Jakob Pertl through this entire process of like, is he somebody that would help the Warriors? I think that he fills a very similar role to Kevon Looney. The difference between them is that Pertl is taller and can jump higher. Uh, he tracks as one of the NBA's better shot blockers. Um, he's excellent at offensive rebounding. Uh, the biggest problem is that he can't really shoot at all, not even from the free throw line. <laughs> yeah. So you start to get into a bit of a trap playing him, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney all on the same roster because if you start to throw that combination of bigs around, then you lack a lot of... You lack something that like Jermichael Green at the five would bring, which is shooting and sort of spacing in a in a full five man, you know, five out lineup. So I think, I think Pirtle would, I think he would mask a couple of the current deficiencies the Warriors have. I think come playoff time, he becomes a lot less valuable than people would make him out to be. And I see a lot of, you know, you see a lot of people talking about, well, you know, his experience and like anything is better than Wiseman at this point. But the, the truth is that, no, not everything is better than Wiseman. With Jakob Pertl, he's a good player. I think you would have to offload Kevon Looney in order to have the Pertl move really, really make sense for a title run this year because they're both that's just the you know, their the deficiencies are yeah. are so majorly obvious and they're such similar players that you sort of you don't you don't do what what Steve Kerr has had such such success doing um, by throwing out the same style of play and rotations because historically Kerr has been able to throw teams different looks uh, between the starters and the bench units and each combination of players he's gotten and I think that actually goes back a little bit to sort of how Jordan Poole has evolved a little bit. But I do think when when you have if you're bringing Yago Pirtle off the bench or if you start Pirtle and you bring Kevon Looney off the bench, you're sort of eliminating a decent amount of possibility in terms of how you force teams into different coverages and make them play you differently. Gotcha. Yeah, that that makes sense. It's uh, a very good point. Um, and I mean, quite quite honestly, I think what a lot of a lot of Warrior fans may not realize is how impressive it was last season, the chemistry and continuity that the team built like right. from game one. I mean, you had Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bielitsa, and GP2 basically just come in seamlessly into that second unit and pick up all of Steve Kerr's principles offensively and defensively and just really make it look easy. And then you fill out the second unit with Damian Lee and Juan Toscano Anderson, who many fans were complaining about throughout the season. And then yet yeah. here we are, people like looking at Damian Lee flourishing for the Suns, like we, we let this guy go. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, and, and to be fair, how many games, you know, was Damian Lee wide open in the corner and, and missed shots that, that we needed him to make last season, but there's right. something to be said for having chemistry and continuity in this league to kick off the season with a, on a strong note and, you know, to pick up some wins. And, and that's clearly lacking after, after the first unit. Um, you've got a bunch of very young, raw, talented players who don't have any chemistry and continuity together, and it showed. 
offensively and defensively, the product was far from finished um, at all. And so um, I think you can definitely, you could definitely make some improvements and shake it up with the trade, but I still think you're going to have some growing pains in trying to establish that continuity and chemistry and um, having guys kind of be able to pick up the system. Um, and uh, I just think that there, there was definitely some, some, it was definitely a big loss with, with having five of those, five of those guys um, from last year's squad, no longer with the team. And also Andre Iguodala still hasn't made an appearance yet. I think if we had a healthy Iguodala playing in half of these games, um, I think we'd have another two or three wins and it's not like he needs to play 30 minutes, but he's just such a stabilizing presence when he's on the floor, directing guys, being able to, to just kind of put guys in the right position to succeed. I think um, he's a big, he's a big piece that was missing as, um, as was Dante DiVincenzo. It was really great to see him get back in action against the Kings. um, And also uh, last night against San Antonio, you can tell he's still got a long ways to go before he's a hundred percent, but just having another guy who can play make, who can defend, who's a confident, smart, high IQ guy. um, It just gives, it makes everyone else's job a little bit easier, especially Jordan Poole. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. That kind of continuity is is very important. And that's what a lot of people don't realize, especially for, you know, having having seen the Warriors go back to back before. It's really hard to go back to back in this league. And a lot of that is because you can't retain guys who were championship contributors because, you know, you can't pay them where they garnered you know, better offers from different teams or there was just different, you know, different interests and stuff like that. And, um, you know, a lot of people will will point to Wiseman's contract as why we weren't able to keep GP2 and Otto Porter. And I think that while they would probably be providing something a lot, you know, something very helpful to this team, um, you still have a, a myriad of issues that you have to fix with other players on the roster that aren't you know, aren't necessarily guys who are contract blocking us from getting uh, additional free agents. Like when when we saw this sort of free agent class that the Warriors brought in, we have seen Dante DiVincenzo and Jermichael Green both contribute at high levels for teams that had success in the playoffs, especially Dante DiVincenzo when he played for the Bucks. So you bring in guys who have, you know, contender pedigrees. And they, you know, they're not playing up to standard because they're still trying to sort of get into the system. And it doesn't help that, you know, the Warriors are dropping games because, you know, Clay Thompson has had a bit of a slow start. Jordan Poole has had a bit of a slow start. You know, Steph Curry is putting up unbelievable numbers. And if the Warriors had a better record, then he would likely be leading the MVP conversation. But when you have such a lack of continuity and you have to sort of adapt to bringing in new guys that fit with Kerr's system, they just need some time to to sort of grow into it. And this is a Uh, complex system too. This isn't like, Hey, we're just going to run high screen pick and roll all game. Exactly. Go space out in the corner. This is read react. This is knowing how to play next to Curry and Thompson. Um, This is a, Switch, uh, uh, highly switchable on defense. They play a lot of zone. You've got to be, there's a lot you got to pick up and learn. And it doesn't always click for everyone. You know, everyone learns things a little bit differently. Yeah. And I think the, that having so many, like, because Kerr likes to, he likes to bake all these actions into like, 
like three or four different sort of actions going on at any given time around the court where, you know, they'll be throwing, uh, you know, they'll be doing like a, an off ball pin down screen to run Curry through the baseline while they're, they're running a post split on the other side of the floor with the ball. Like there's just so much going on in the system that you really do have to have to take some time to adapt to it. Like you were saying. So, I mean, I, I would expect that the, that's another thing that the Warriors are going to fix as the season kind of goes on. I think it's it's a little early to to kind of be having all this doom and gloom that just because we don't have GP2 and Otto Porter that, um, you know, suddenly we're not contenders still because we very much still are. It's just a matter of getting all of these guys the reps and getting them together. And, you know, you know you have that buy-in because you're a championship team and people want to win. So when you bring in winners, it's just a matter of time for them to get adjusted into the system. And it doesn't help that, you know, Kerr is sort of doing what he did last season um, where he's testing all of these different rotations. And he's kind of like he's like doing a, a giant puzzle while we're trying to win games at the beginning of the season. And like you said, it was a lot easier last year because the elites uh, Porter and GP2 all came in and they were seamless into the offense. They were, you know, they were incredibly reliable. They picked everything up quick. And that made those kinds of that kind of lineup tinkering that the team was doing so often that made it easier to to still win games. But, um, you know, it's it's a little different this season. I think that there are a lot of shades of last season um, in terms of how Kerr is, is sort of taking the approach early season. Yeah. Hundred percent, some good points, and also you look at the health and availability of GP two and Otto Porter Jr. and uh, GP two hasn't played a, a game yet this season for the Blazers, mm. and Porter missed the first two weeks. I think he just finally got getting his legs under him in Toronto. So even if we had retained those guys, we kind of look like alternate reality universe. Doesn't mean they'd necessarily be we'd necessarily yeah. be in a different position because those guys aren't even healthy, right? Um, and they're kind of they. They play the same positions that you want. Kaminga, Moody, um, you know, you want those guys playing. So I think it was a little bit of a conflict as far as how much money are we willing to offer these guys to keep them around, knowing that we are also trying to develop our young guys. And right. there was a line in the sand and they weren't going to cross it. Um, they definitely wanted to bring them back, but not for more than they wanted to spend. Um, and so it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you know, man, that that five lose dropping those five games against some pretty subpar teams. I mean, Miami's definitely not in that conversation, but right. You know, at one point, it, you know, the Warriors, uh, the Warriors starting five is still top in the league in net rating. Yeah. Um, but at one point, I was looking at the stats, and you look at Detroit starting five and Charlotte starting five, and they're bottom. They're like literally the worst in net rating, and the Warriors the best. And it's like, man. We're dropping games to these guys. Um, Charlotte's kind of interesting, though, because we've lost there like four years in a row now in Charlotte. And it's like this Curry hometown reunion game that yeah. just seems like we just it ends in a disaster every time, regardless of who's playing for Charlotte. I mean, PJ Washington looked like an all star in that game. They're missing LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier, but Dennis Smith Jr. and Kelly Oubre just going off. And it's like um, kind of the new San Antonio where it's like we can't yeah. get in there. That was the that was actually the exact analogy that I was thinking of where we just couldn't beat the Spurs for a couple of years. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, just, just a few games, you know, 14 games into the season, you see that the Warriors are starting to turn the corner a little bit here. Um, you know, Jordan Poole getting a little bit more comfortable in his new role. And, you know, I'm all about, because the Warriors last season had an atrocious stretch um, after the All-Star break where it was like, we're falling in the standings. Is this even a playoff team anymore? Our defense right. is non-existent. So we did we did something very similar last season with that team. Um, and so I'm, I'm all about going through adversity and growing pains, get that out of the way early, come out of it, you know, better and stronger. And as you said very succinctly, that Steve Kerr loves to kind of do this tinkering and he doesn't just try and go out and win games um, early on. He likes to kind of mess around and, and see what he can get away with. And sure, mm-hmm. as fans, we don't like to see the team lose, especially because we have such high hopes and aspirations for the Warriors. Right. Um, the product on the floor definitely was not fun to watch at times, uh, but there's still a lot of basketball left to be played this season. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, that's kind of that that fan expectation was um, kind of going back to how uh, how hard it is to go back to back in terms of championships in this league. That was um, that was definitely something that uh, those kinds of expectations for the team so early on. It it definitely feels like like you were saying, sort of that slump last season when you know Clay comes back from injury and then we don't see. Clay, Steph, and Dre for more than one or two games before the playoffs. So I think that that kind of continuity was an, also an issue last year. I think that late season, you know, barring any injuries, it will be um, it will sort of be an inverse. You know, where we'll see the Warriors sort of start to get on a hot streak, maybe around the All Star break, maybe after it, um, because you see the signs with this team. There's they've had. You know, moments where they have played really good basketball and they look like the Warriors that we've come to know. But, you know, those stretches where, you know, there's miscommunications and, you know, you foul a little too much. Um, you could make an argument that a couple of those games turned out to be ref shows, but at the same time, like the team definitely does need to to reel in their their foul tendencies a lot. Um you would hope to see that uh that kind of like I was saying, an inverse of last season where, you know, start out not too hot and then start rolling because we've gotten some some quality. Some, I would say the Cavs win was a pretty gritty win considering sort of all things considered. Uh, so you can see it with this team. You can see that there is a very good team still in this in sort of what we're watching and it's just going to take some time. So I have a question for you, you know, Clay Thompson, I think is a really big piece and key to the Warriors if they want to um, have any type of consistency and and make some noise into the postseason as well as um, turn things around here during the regular season. What are your kind of thoughts so far on on Clay's early season struggles and, and kind of his shooting slump? Um, I'm you know I I, I can. I can think of a lot of instances where I watched the beginning of a warrior season and I, it was kind of, I was kind of looking at it like, huh, clay is not playing particularly well right now. And then he'll do something ridiculous, like break the three point record for a single game. So, I mean, I'm not too worried about his shooting. Uh, I think that, you know, and clay kind of alluded to this on, on an Instagram post, like it's like his big game is coming. 
I'm very confident in that, and I have a feeling it'll be sooner rather than later. Uh, ideally against Phoenix tomorrow, but we'll see. <laughs> um, That'd be great. Yeah, uh, but um, I think defensively is probably the biggest spot where you can sort of see him slowed down. And with two major injuries like that, it makes a lot of sense. But, um, you know, seeing his ability to sort of fight through screens and to trail uh, to trail defenders um, whenever he gets caught up in a pick and roll or, you know, his rotations and just kind of his general, his general defensive aptitude, uh, the IQ you can see is still definitely there, but physically that'll be the biggest question for him is can he – can he not just hold up to, you know, that that sort of all defensive caliber player that he was? Because I think that's way too high of an expectation for a guy coming off of an ACL and an Achilles injury. I think that him being a a serviceable defender, uh, an aver- even an average defender, uh, I expect him to end up being sort of a an above average defender once the Warriors are kind of more comfortable with each other and you don't have guys constantly having to cover for the mistakes that other guys make. Um I think until you sort of see that, then the biggest question for him is going to be his physical capability on defense uh, in terms of, you know, ball screen navigation and on-ball defense, those kinds of things that uh, that we've come to know him uh, to do super well. Yeah, it's almost like he needs to move up a position defensively. I think the days of him chasing you know, ones and twos are over and he's typically now more guarding threes or even fours. We see a lot of action where he switches onto a four and and he digs down and um, like against a Kevin Love, for example, or something like that. So uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, The shooting's going to come. I think, you know, I don't think we were, I was kind of coming into this season like, oh yeah, Clay's got a whole off season under his belt. He's going to be ready to go. And then I don't think it really hit me what the impact of him not really participating in, in scrimmages over the summer was going to do and, yeah. and him slowly ramping up in training camp. I mean, it's really like he had a late start to this season um, and they're going to yeah. continue to to treat him um you know, delicately not playing in the back-to-backs, you know, I'd be kind of be surprised if he does play in back-to-backs throughout the season because he sits, you know, take care of Clay. Jordan Poole gets the start. Poole gets to go off, you know, more opportunities for everyone else. So if it, if the net impact of him sitting is everyone gets to play up a spot and gets four minutes and step up to the, to the challenge and it ends up in, in victories, I'm, I'm good with that. But yeah, you can see that he, you know, he is still kind of getting up to speed with everything. Um, but yeah, I think there's been plenty of seasons where Clay's had kind of atrocious shootings in the month of November, yeah. um, October, sometimes even December. And then he he turns it around um, start of the new year and just goes on a tear. So, you know, it, it sucks to see all these sh- shots fall short because it's not like missed. It's not like he's totally off. You know, all right. his shots are just front rim, front rim, front rim. So um, you just hope he can get his legs under him a little bit. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see him break the three point, the three point record. That would certainly he he certainly uh, is deserving of it. I mean, just yeah. the work that he's put in and, uh, you know, Draymond Green's been asked, like, who he thinks, who's the most intense player that he's ever played with or against. Uh, and he said Clay Thompson, which was pretty surprising to me. Um, but it just shows like how much fight he has in him and how how much this means to him and 
you know, historically he's always been a really quiet, reserved and stoic guy, but you mm-hmm. see it coming out more, the fire, the intensity, he got thrown out in that last Phoenix game, um, which is good. I think he needs to kind of show yeah. his emotions a little bit more and play with that fire and energy. And, and I think it's going to be on, on Steve Kerr and the coaching staff to find ways to put him in positions defensively where he can be, um, like you said, an above average defender and um, less situations where he where he's like chasing smaller guards around the perimeter. Yeah, I think the first of all, that Phoenix game was awesome when Clay got ejected. That was amazing to watch. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that the like he's such a smart defensive player that um, you know those that kind of positioning is going to help him a lot. I do think that, um, and this is something that I I had kind of noticed when he came back last season, his shot selection has been better this season, definitely. Um, You started to see it a little bit in last season before the playoffs where he was taking shots you don't normally expect Klay Thompson to shoot. I think in part of that is because, you know, we had come to see Klay as like the fire thrower during the Durant years that he would just, you know, run around the court, catch and shoot, and, you know, it would be sort of automatic like that. Um, I think his shot selection, uh, him cleaning it up a bit is is important. I do think it's kind of interesting, though, that, um, you know, maybe looking at he what what damage he might be able to do as as a movement shooter as opposed to just, you know, being standstill. And that's, you know, off-ball and on-ball. Because when you look back at sort of the Mark Jackson years, you saw plenty of plays being run for Clay Thompson to post up. So you know that he has, you know, more skill than he likely gets a lot of credit for. But it's it's the things like, you know, you don't want him shooting shots that Steph and Poole would be shooting. So those kinds of even like a, a pull up, like a, a one two rhythm dribble pull up. I think that that would be a good a good kind of rhythm shot for him to to take a little bit when when he has kind of the that game freedom to do so um but i think in in general the shot selection um you just gotta let it come easier he's gotta not force it as much because i feel like there there are times when you sort of see his his shooting slumps and you're like yeah he's sort of forcing it a little bit so letting that come to him within the flow of the offense i think is going to be really important but definitely expecting him to light it up pretty soon yeah those are some good points um take what the defense gives you if they're gonna run you off the three-point line like one dribble in and take the long two that kind of rhythm that rhythm shot and those shots typically look good it's the you know three it's the three-pointer in transition that we all want and he wants so desperately but it's like a really tough closeout and it's like yeah "Yeah, sure of course you can get the shot off but do you really need to take that like pump fake sidestep get the open three or you know one step in and get the long two i'd also like to see clay thompson work more off the ball there's been a few times where he's cutting and it's almost like he wasn't ready for the pass um i think that happened last night where um or maybe it was against sacramento where uh, he cut through the lane and it just like went through his hands so i'd like when he came back last season there was a lot more of like clay thompson going to the rim um, which I thought was good and just different actions. So I'd like yeah. to see that. I think the post up is a good is a good point. You know, he's definitely more than capable of like that turnaround jump shot in the low post or short corner. 
Um, they could utilize some of that when they just really need to get the bucket. I mean, he was that type of guy before Durant where it's like right. in a half court set when you really need to get a shot, you could give it to Clay Thompson because he typically can shoot over whoever's defending him. And yeah. that's where that really offers the Warriors a lot of value because half court offense has never been our strong suit. Um, in the in the postseason, obviously, we we elevate our game to another level and it kind of doesn't matter. But as far as regular season execution goes, we typically struggle in half court sets and blow teams out of the gym when we can just get everything going in transition. Yeah. And I think that um, you, you sort of raised a good point with Clay's off ball cutting and how you like to see that return. The Warriors are as far as, you know, shots within shots in the paint and sort of those short within 10 foot shots. The Warriors make a lot of them. They're percentage-wise one of the better, you know, sort of close-up shooting teams in the league, but they don't take a lot of them, which is something that uh, when you sort of look at last season, how much rim pressure the Warriors were able to put on defenses, I think that is sort of integrating things like, you know, Clay cutting to the basket, um, you know, even letting him drive, letting Wiggins drive sort of just adding, putting more pressure on the interior of the defense to collapse is just going to get you so much more quality shots. And I think that's a big thing the Warriors are not doing that they do well and they need to do more of. Because you've never, you look at Warriors teams, they've never really been like a, a super rim pressure heavy team until last season where you suddenly have these guys who are, you know, Andrew Wiggins has two of the best postseason dunks I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like having that kind of rim pressure and being able to force defenses to collapse and respect that you're going to, you know, if, if they don't stop you, you're going to put up a ton of points on them in the paint. Um, I think that'd be, that'd be huge for them going forward. And I also think that that gets kind of, that can get Clay Thompson going because it's going to get him a lot of more quality shots, the more he plays off ball. So those things kind of go hand in hand for me. And I think that the, the easy shots, that stuff like, you know, cutting layups, the post-ups, that kind of stuff is all going to be important for getting Clay back into rhythm and um, sort of helping the offense just continue to hum. Yeah, and just to put some numbers around that, Warriors are currently fourth in the league in a two-point field goal percentage at 57%, but uh, 21st in um, field goals made and 27th and uh, field goals attempted. So, yeah, top of the league in efficiency, but bottom bottom as far as uh, attempts and uh, and makes. Um, first in the league in three-point attempts and three-point makes, uh, and the shooting percentage has gone up uh, quite a little bit over the last few games as well. They were sitting kind of at the bottom of the pack in three-point percentage, and that's kind of risen now. They're at a uh, 30, 37%, which is sixth, sixth best. Um, but yeah, we had kind of grown accustomed to that easy offense where it was either like open layups at the rim or threes. And we've kind of gotten away from the open looks at the rim a little bit and just turned into this three point frenzy shooting team. Um, which is tough because typically you miss a three, especially if it's a corner three and the other team's going to run that back and do a fast break. Um, typically get right. a layup or an open look. And then even worse, if you're turning it over and fouling, um, and it just, you know, Warriors are ranked 30th in, in fouls committed per game at 23.4, uh, 26th in turnovers at 16.6. So 
again, as I kind of mentioned earlier, when you're making it so much easier for the other team by fouling them and giving them extra possessions and a parade to the free throw line, jacking up all these threes, it's like you got to be so good offensively to overcome all of that. doesn't matter who you're playing. Yeah, it's a testament to Steph's greatness that they were able to to keep a lot of these games close too, especially with how the offense just, you know, you can sort of see it slowing down at points. I think that um, the uptick in shooting over the last few games, to me, it would seem like that's pretty contingent on Steph drawing so much attention and then we kind of see that, that playoff offense start to get going a little bit. Um, but I mean, since we're, we're getting a lot of threes and we're attempting a lot of threes, we're making them in a pretty decent clip that the rim pressure is going to help a lot if they can start to start to sort of form that up and it, it just gets the offense going. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the concerns start to go away once the, once the offense starts to get back a little bit to, to where it was. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. We saw the Sacramento Kings do this, um, you know, the game was pretty much out of hand for um, basically the second half and on against Sacramento. But Mike Brown deployed that blitzing Steph Curry look that I think we're going to see a lot more of from yes. the competitive teams. And it's a surprise, honestly, that it took 13 games into the season to get there. But um, I think, yeah, we're going to see a lot of Draymond Green getting the ball out of a Steph Curry double team and being the decision maker, um, finding open guys to shoot and guys are going to need to hit open shots. And that could be, you know, either feast or famine, but it's going to come down to, you know, Clay Thompson or uh, Jordan Poole or Anthony Lamb, if he's out there or Kevon Looney. Um, you know, we know Draymond Green's more than capable, if not one of the better decision makers with the ball in his hands in that type mm -hmm. of scenario. Um, but I think, you know, Steph Curry's brilliance, I think a lot of people last season were like, well, he's kind of getting old. He's kind of getting up there. I mean, he just had kind of an anomaly of an off shooting year. But what yeah. he's been doing this season is just absolutely incredible at age 34, turning 35. The effective field goal percentage, the efficiency with which he's been shooting, the way that he's just been so clutch and putting putting the team on his back and just completely taking over games and just willing us um, a lot of wins in the early parts of the season. It's just incredible to see what, what he's done and continues to do. So special. Yeah. Uh, there was a stat that I saw from, uh, from NBA university that was um, they had kind of pulled out clutch stats and it was, you know, Steph Curry was sixth in you know, clutch shots. I want to say it's clutch shots made. And um, he was second in percentage in, in terms of the top 10 behind De'Aaron Fox. So he's been, you know, otherworldly. And <clears throat> it's kind of it's kind of weird to think that that teams blitzing him has been so effective, especially because you saw the Boston Celtics playing so much drop coverage against him in the finals last year. And it it kind of it's it's a nice juxtaposition to see what Mike Brown, who was, you know, obviously one of one of uh, Kerr's top staffers last season, how he would sort of defend stuff after watching the Warriors offense. And I think you're, I think you're right. We're going to see a lot of teams start to do that a lot more and it's feast or famine. Like they're going to hit their shots or they're going to 
They're going to shoot themselves out of games, but you need to make the open looks. And having that Draymond Green short roll four on three open back up, I think is going to help sort of uptick their rim attempts, uptick their efficiency. It's just going to to lead to better quality offense. And Steph's numbers might suffer a bit a bit from it, but um, at the end of the day, he's the engine that makes the whole thing run. So great. Yeah, and I mean, that game against Sacramento, you had like three good looks from Clay Thompson from three, um, a couple more from some other guys. I mean, that was a very winnable game. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, sure, the Kings have this long-documented playoff drought and being this kind of pit of of poor basketball and, and poor management of a basketball team. But they're playing well under Mike Brown. They beat the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, all three games we've had against them have come down to the end. Like, this is not a bad team. I don't think you look yeah. at a bad beat at Sacramento and look, man, the Warriors are really in a rut. We can't beat the Kings. It's like, the Kings aren't that bad. You see their roster. You see the guys that they've got playing at a high level. De'Aaron Fox doing what he's doing. Like, that's not that was not a bad beat. Like, losing to Detroit, losing to Charlotte. Like, yeah. Orlando like those were bad beats but I'm not I'm not get too, getting too upset about um you know Steph Curry getting double team you get wide open three point looks in in crunch time and you just couldn't convert like okay fine so it goes on to the next one yeah there's going to be plenty of games like that this season too but yeah you're you do raise a good point i think what what uh Mike Brown's got going on in Sacramento is definitely something to watch so you you had that comment earlier about Andrew Wiggins and and his incredible posters, um, you know what do you have uh, that Wiggins poster over Luca in the playoffs or or Baron Davis against Utah? Ooh, <laughs> um, the Baron Davis one is it's it's so iconic and I think that. Uh, it's tough. I think that last year I probably would have taken Baron Davis, but I think the Warriors winning the championship and Wiggins getting locked in for another four years, it's a little bit of a hindsight. It's a little bit of a hindsight cheat, but I do think that for a guy that who's going, who's going to be playing in Golden State for another three years at least, I think that he, uh, he really cemented I think he really cemented that that might be the that might be the best one. Underrated shout out to uh, him dunking on I want to say Brandon Clark in the Memphis series. That one with the two ander was wow. Yeah, and I think you know to to everyone talking about the Warriors being cheap and not bringing back GP two and, and Otto Porter Jr. I mean, here we are coming into this season in the off season, like who are they going to pick? Poole or Wiggins or Draymond? Well, they picked both. We locked up Poole and Wiggins. So, and I mean, Wiggins, just such a team first kind of guy. You know, I think that was such a remarkable trade, getting Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga for uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell. Um, Wiggins, just such a perfect fit in this team. He got off to such a blistering start to the season. Um, Kind of in typical Wiggins fashion, though, his aggressiveness kind of ebbs and flows offensively, but he just does so many little things. The rebounding has been good. And, you know, I fully expect come playoff time that we really see him elevate his level again. Um, I just think that there's a lot of different moving parts in this rotation and he's kind of just fills in, um, fills in as the glue guy and he doesn't really feel like he needs to like 
force the offense, um, even if we could probably use it a few times, honestly. Um, he just is so much of a play through the flow of the game and, and such a system guy that almost to a fault, he's unwilling to just like attack um, relentlessly and draw fouls and all of that. But Wiggins has just been such an underrated piece of this team. Um, and Draymond Green. I mean, I yeah. think Draymond Green has been really solid. I think, you know, he's getting up there in age. He doesn't quite have the same lift defensively. He's not erasing shots at the rim like he did, you know, maybe three, four years ago. But all of this drama about Draymond and Poole in the offseason, and he's really erased all of that. Um, I thought he was a lot more aggressive offensively when the season kicked off. Right. And I'd like to see him get back to that. So I am curious to see coming out of what we're anticipating, this kind of blitzing Steph Curry um, adjustment from opposing defenses. Is that going to enable Draymond Green to get closer to 10 points per game? Because he looks a lot more comfortable attacking and finishing at the rim. Yeah, definitely. That was something that I, I noticed with, with Dre to start the season out. And, you know, getting past the offseason controversy and showing that he really, you know, he really is committed to winning, even if, you know, you hear rumblings that it could be his last year in Golden State. It shows you wouldn't notice it from how he's played and, you know, his attitude, how he goes to bat for the guys on the team and the postgame pressers. And, yeah, he's been – he's had a, a good start to the season. Um I think Andrew Andrew Wiggins has been, I I would say, almost elite in terms of how he's been how he's been doing. Like you said, he hasn't been super super aggressive, but I mean he's shooting you know forty nine percent from the floor, thirty eight percent from three. Um, you know he's doing a lot of the little things. He's playing excellent defense. He's um I think that I, I would confidently say that Wiggins has been the Warriors' second best player with Draymond in a close third to to start out the season. And um the best part about it is he's doing that and he's doing it all within the flow of the offense. You also know at the same time that if he's feeling it, then he can easily go for 40. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's really picked up right where he left off from uh from the postseason. Definitely. Um, cool, man. Did you have any, anything else, any closing thoughts here as we're, uh, kind of wrapping up? Um, I would say the only, the only thing to, to kind of say is that, you know, it's going to be a long season. Um, I think this is going to be one of the longer warrior seasons we've had in a while, even, you know, between the 15 win year and the play in year, I think that this one is going to be kind of the the toughest to to cope with a lot of the time just because you know we're coming off of a championship Steph Curry is playing at an unbelievable level our starting five is the best starting five in the NBA in terms of most metrics I think that patience for this season is going to be key and uh, I think it's important as fans to you know give give everybody space to to get things figured out um, you know calling doom at game 14 is obviously pretty premature so i would say for you know just in in terms of general you know fandom as warriors fans it would behoove us to be a little more patient with the team and to not you know go out of our way to you know flame all these young guys and you know request trades whenever somebody is just the kind of reactionary stuff and to just put the season 
in broader perspective because I'm confident in this team. And I do think that, like I said earlier, there's a very good team in here. And, you know, there's a very realistic chance that once everything starts to mesh together, which it takes a lot of season to do sometimes, uh, this team is still one of the top contenders in the NBA and will remain that way. Wise words. And just to build on that a little bit, you also got to take into account the coach and the coaching style. And Steve right. Curry said this on multiple occasions. Like he's not the guy who's going to just trot out a young player for 30 minutes a night and let him play through mistakes and, and make a lot of mistakes on the job. And sure, there's going to be growing pains, but there are expectations for, you know, guys to how this is how we run offense. This is how we play defense. And if you don't execute and if you continue to do those things, you're not going to be on the floor. Um, and yep. we saw, the impact that had on Jordan Poole. So um, I think it's pretty silly to to literally have evidence of this just like one and a half seasons ago, a player who everyone had just written off who now just looks like Steph Curry light. Um, you know, it's like anytime you're like, Steph Curry's not going to play or Clay Thompson's not going to play, you're just going to slot Jordan Poole in there and he's just going to pick up where either of those guys left off and just fill in mm-hmm. seamlessly. Like, have some patience and trust in their ability to develop these guys and teach them the right way to play. Um, Steve Kerr made an interesting comment that in today's NBA, you know, so many, so many guys are not getting the reps in college. And so they come to the NBA and need to be taught how to play at the NBA level and they're not coming NBA ready. And so that means a lot of mistakes. It means that depending on your coaching style and, and, you know, your rotations, you're not going to, you're not going to be on the floor or when you are, you're going to look pretty bad because you don't have the fundamentals, um, especially for a guy like James Wiseman who only played three games in college. You can, you can see it very evidently yeah. that his fundamentals are, are very much lacking. Um, hang in there, have some patience and uh, 14 games in, we still got, we still got a lot of basketball to play. Definitely. Well, thanks, James. I really appreciate you uh, coming in and, and joining me on today's episode. I feel like we hit on uh, a lot of a lot of really good and much needed topics out there for Warriors fans. And, uh, you know, maybe this is the start uh, building on this blowout against San Antonio and hopefully take care of business against Phoenix on the start of a little bit of a win streak here. Yeah, here's hoping. Well, thanks for having me on, Sam. Alrighty, man. You take care. Of course. Go Warriors. Have a good one. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. If you haven't already, please give me a follow over at Twitter. That's at SDWarlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Let's go Dub Nation taking on the Phoenix Suns tonight. And we'll catch you on the next one.